Patrick asked that I would read the the scripture that he's going to share with us that the Lord has laid on his heart. So as I do, why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? You can follow along in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. I thought about just coming up with some other scripture and just saying that. See what that do with Patrick, see if he could preach something else off the cuff, but no, let us let us focus in here on what God's word has for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible here says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You may be seated, Brother Patrick. Thank you, Brother Chad. Appreciate that. I was telling them as I, I get older, I either need a new Bible with bigger letters or I need to move away from the pulpit because there's something about the shine on my Bible when I'm trying to read it up here. It's difficult for me. So it must be maybe getting a little older. So I appreciate this opportunity to uh, share God's worth with you. If that sounds, the passage that Chad read sounds a little familiar to you, it's because um, a couple months ago when I had the opportunity to preach, this was part of what we were in. But as I tended to go a little long that time, Justin told me that uh, there was almost a riot that broke out in the nursery. <laughs> and I'll try to be more conscious of uh, the time this morning so that uh, I don't keep you too long. And um, I'm going to set a timer here. <laughs> so if the fire alarm goes off, you know. <laughs> but what I did last time when we went through this, this is such a, a good passage in that uh, Peter tells us and those readers at the time about the salvation we have in Christ, the, the blessed salvation. And just in a bit of a review of the first half of the chapter is... Peter is writing to Jewish Christians who have fled the Neronian persecution, probably about uh, A.D. 64, and they are now in a strange land. They're in the area of Asia Minor, which is basically modern-day Turkey. And he talks about their hope that they have. Because of God's abundant mercy, they've been begotten unto uh, an inheritance incorruptible. And they have been given uh, um, uh, an inheritance that fadeth not away, and which is kept in heaven for them. 
And then also it goes on to say, we are kept by him in our salvation. It's not up to us. He keeps us. And it's through faith. But then he goes on to say that there will be trials, there will be hard times, and that they're facing. And so in this second half, I want to go and and talk a little bit about some of the things I did not get to emphasize last time uh, because of the time factor, and I want to share with you. So as Chad read, he's continuing on at the end where we almost ended last week or last time, and it's a bit of an overlap, is that... He calls them to holy living. And the first thing he says is that because God is holy, we should be holy. Our life should reflect uh, his holiness. We become like mirrors of God. We, we grow each day. We, as we learn from his word, as we fellowship with believers, our, our life should reflect the holiness of God. Not that we're perfect in this world, but we become more like him. But then he goes on and he continues in what we see this morning. He gives us a reason to live holy lives in verse 18 and 19. It's the cost of salvation. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. We touched on that last time. We talked about the silver and gold and and, uh, such. And have a couple things this morning. Um just in a way of illustrating, helping us to understand. Uh, this is a book I've read. It's called The Hunt for History. Uh, it's a guy who, uh, Nathan Rabb, he's a historic document um, dealer. He uh, authenticates uh, documents. He, he uh, tells if that's real, and then he goes on and he gives value to them. But he talks about uh, an auction that the fluctuation in auctions uh, depends on who's there and who is willing to pay. And he gives the example of an Abraham Lincoln letter that was written during the Civil War. And he said, Lincoln letters are sought after. But he said at this one time, the letter was put up for sale at an auction for $15,000. And nobody would meet what they call the reserve. That is what the seller sets as the price he has to get. But then two weeks later, the same letter goes up, same type of people. The letter sells for $35,000. It's a fluctuation of who's there, who places value on it, who wants it. And in the same way, we looked at this, corruptible things, they fluctuate, silver and gold, they, as much as we... uh, determine precious metals and and, uh, love precious metals, they do corrode. They do corrupt. They lose value. They gain value. They go back and forth. Just as another way of example, this is a $20 Confederate bill from the Confederate States of America. Now, if you'd look around, and, and this was an ancestor that brought that back, and I've had this for years. Um, if you look on the value on the market, it's approximately 80 to $99, they say, depending upon who's willing to pay it. But it's interesting in here that it talks about legal tender. Now, most of you understand what that means. 
Is this legal tender today? No. So it basically, as legal tender, it's worthless. So something that is valuable at the time was worthless. And, and let me tell you a side story <laughs> that there were stories of Confederates taking gold up into Canada to help pay for the Confederacy, their fight, and then setting up the government afterwards. And so for years, treasure hunters have gone into Ontario trying to find this so-called gold. But even without the gold, or with the gold, that today is not legal tender. It's worthless. Listen. He says that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things such as this, but with the incorruptible, with the precious blood of Christ. And I appreciated uh, the song we sang ho- uh, earlier and then what uh, Kenzie and, and um, oh my goodness, I'm doing a pastor. <laughs> Melody. I kept thinking, Megan, I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> the song they sang, Holy, Holy, because precious blood. Think about that. The precious blood of Christ was shed for us. We have no, like, corruptible things. We have no intrinsic value in ourselves. You could be the greatest athlete here. You could be a captain of a, a championship state, champion football, basketball, track, whatever. You could be the a captain of a, a cheerleading squad or a debate team that goes to nationals. Humanly speaking, we celebrate those things, but spiritually, eternally, they have little value. This is for you, Chad. Look, here's the thing. <laughs> I can't do my Joe Biden. Here's the thing. We have a hard time comprehending this because everything we see around us, everything we experience that we perceive with our eyes, that we smell, that we taste, that we hear, it seems beautiful to us. We look out on a fall day and we see creation and it's beautiful. We see flowers in the spring. Guys, you see young ladies around you. Husbands, your wives. Our perception of our world, our experience, is things are good. Things are great. Do you know what he says? Our lives are empty. Here's the other side. Is everything... We see around us, in our lifetime, we think it lasts. We think it has value. But from the other side, the other perspective, is it doesn't last. Everything we know, everything we experience, will corrupt, will age, will disappear, will corrode, will break down everything. 
And we look at stuff, maybe, I don't know if you were here last time, I, I brought a book with me that was over 200 years old. It looked pretty good. But eventually it's going to break down. Adults, those of you who are 50 years and older, everything breaks down, gets older, doesn't it? So you see, this is so hard for us to comprehend. We were not redeemed with corruptible things. And we look at those things around us, those things that seem wonderful and great. Even if we talk about love between a husband and a wife or parents and children. We look at that and we think, that's corruptible? That's broken? And on the other side, it's hard for us to comprehend that precious blood that was shed for us. Not only was it shed, but it was shed because our lives are empty. Our lives are are vain. You remember that that phrase there, there, the clause, uh, um, the vain conversation. We were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation. You mean conversation is our life. It's who we are, what our purpose is, what we're about. All those things in eternal value as we set our purpose, as we set our goals, they're empty. But God redeems us from that with the precious blood of Christ. Let me go on here and and move forward. He says, in addition with this, he says, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. To the Jew, that would speak to them because of the sacrificial system that they needed a a perfect lamb to be shed to cover that sin, to, to give them that forgiveness. But then he said, who was verily ordained before the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last days. This means he was it was it was planned. Before the foundation of the world was laid. Do you remember that conversation God had with Job? Where Job and his friends are trying to discuss of why Job had had come to this calamity and he had lost his family, he had lost his his fortune And they're trying to figure out why. And finally, God comes to Job and he has a conversation with him and says, who are you to darken my counsel? He says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? Before that, God planned that Jesus would die for you and for me. It was planned Now, excuse me, in Galatians 4, 4, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent his Son. So just at the right time, God sent him according to his plan. But then he says, now, Peter speaking to his hearers, he says, now he is manifested in these last days for you. Manifest to be, means to be made plain, to, to show, to exhibit to be revealed for you. 
And of course, that means Peter's readers. But now in our day, too, we're reading God's word and it means us. It was foreordained for our benefit. Sorry, I'm getting a little excited and I'm missing a few points. I'm trying to think whether to touch on them. But who, speaking of us, Peter's hearers, who by him, speaking of Jesus, do believe in God? You know, this was key for Peter's hearers because the Jews at that time, they struggled with the fact in Isaiah Chapter 40, it says that God is the Jewish nation, Israel's only Savior. So they struggle with the teaching that Jesus, who they had not quite grasped as God yet, that he was the Savior, he was the Messiah. And so Peter here, when he talks about Jesus being foreordained for them, that they might believe in God, was so important to understand that they would understand that their belief in Jesus was not being a traitor to God. And your faith this morning, your faith in Jesus, if you have received him, is through, through faith in Jesus, is belief in God. Belief unto Jesus, repentance unto God, Belief in Jesus, or excuse me, repentance unto Jesus, belief in God, the scripture tell us. That God raised him up from the dead. Turn with me for a minute to Philippians chapter 2. It says that God raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. And again, for the Jew that spoke that they were still believing God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11 says, speaking of Jesus, he says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took himself the form of a servant and made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and the things of the things in heaven and things in the earth and the things under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That all that Jesus did was to God's glory. Taking and fulfilling his plan for us. So another reason for us to live is holy lives is because of the cost. That precious blood shed for us. That precious blood shed on our behalf And then Peter basically almost says, therefore, a result of this, in verse 22, 
He says, seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart. Seeing that you have purified your soul. Jesus didn't do it yourself. It's through faith and through the Holy Spirit that when you attain, when you receive Christ, that is applied to you and your soul is purified before God. His pastors talked about many times where you have the sin of human. You take myself, you have Patrick's sin, and you have the perfection of Jesus. And when he dies, he takes that sin upon himself, and we take his righteousness from God's perspective. We're purified in obeying the truth of the gospel through the Spirit. It's a natural outgrowth. He speaks of the unfeigned love of the brethren. That's a that's a natural accomplish or excuse me accompaniment with salvation. We have a love for all the church, for all Christians. To understand what unfading love is, it's it's not a fake love. It's real love. It's the best love you've ever seen. Forgive me for my bad impersonations. But this is a broad general love. When we come to Christ, we have a general love for other Christians. We think of Christians around the world. We think of our missionaries. We think of uh, the uh, Christians in China or in Russia. And I can say, I, I love them. I, I want them to grow in the Lord. And I want them to have the best in the Lord. But then he gets down to the nitty-gritty. And he says, see that you love one another. That unfeigned love for the brethren is the broad love. Love Christians when you have the opportunity. But then he gets down to the nitty-gritty and he says, love one Another. Remember, this is a time when things are getting tough, when he says they're going to face persecution, when things might be hard for believers. See that you love one another. Remember, this is all connected to living holy lives that he's calling us to. Now, I don't know about you, maybe I was a little unusual, but my my sister and I really didn't see eye to eye for a lot. When we were growing up, we were two totally different personalities, and there were things that drove me nuts about her. And even though deep down I knew I loved her, Patrick, do you love your sister? Yes. <laughs> In my perspective, she had some odd habits, if you will. Not weird habits, but just, I'm going, really? (laughs) I know, you know, these young guys here, that if you have a sister, you know, you love them perfectly, right? There's not problems, there's not issues. But he's getting down to the personal side here. Yes, love the brethren, but inside one-on-one, in our daily walk, when we're together, when we have opportunity, love 
one another. You know, there used to be a, a prophecy teacher years ago. Maybe some of you have heard of him. His name was Dave Brees, David Brees. And he would travel around teaching prophecy, but he was an evangelist too. He would always give the gospel. But I remember, and I don't know if he is speaking on this passage specifically, but I remember him teaching. He came to First Baptist in Troy a number of times. And when he was talking about loving other Christians, he said, Think of the meanest Christian you know and love them. You know, we look around the room and I, there's some of us, we, it's easy to love some of you. Maybe you're looking back at me and say, eh, it's not so easy to love you. <laughs> but that's what Peter's talking about here. Part of that walk, part of that holiness, part of that growth is loving one another, not who you choose to love, but one another. If they're a believer, you're called to love them. Even if, humanly speaking, it seems like they're unlovable. And it's not just one way. It's to be both ways. We're not to sit back and say, okay, but everybody come to me. Show me the love. (laughs) It's we go to others, too. And care. And again, remember the context as times get tough. And I, I, I don't know what the Lord's plans are, but it seems like in the days ahead, times could get tough for us, especially as believers. Love one another. And he, he gives two additions to that. With a pure heart, love one another with a pure heart. No motive, being sincere, nothing aside, just loving them. Maybe when they need to be loved, where they're loved, or just telling them, sending them a note, saying, hey, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, we love you. Not hoping to get anything back, but just loving them with a pure heart. And then he says fervently, with strength and with consistency, love those other believers that you're near. I wanted to read just a a passage, and I know pastor says it often, it's hard to listen to somebody read, especially if they don't read well out loud. But this is a book by Dr. Francis Schaeffer, The Great Evangelical Disaster, and he talks about Conformity to the world. He talks about how Christians are easily conformed. He makes a statement at one point where he says, if the world accepts something, he says within 15, 10 or 15 years, Christianity will accept it too. And he goes on and he talks about love and holiness, just what we're talking about this morning, the, the relationship of holiness in our lives. He says, but one, excuse me, <clears throat> But when we have all said of this, when we come to the central things of doctrine and to the central things of life itself, then something must be profoundly considered. As I mentioned at the close of the last chapter, truth carries with it confrontation, loving confrontation, but confrontation nonetheless. And if our reflex action is always accommodation regardless of centrality of truth, 
involved and something is profoundly wrong. And he goes on to just make this statement. To be really Bible-believing Christians, we need to practice simultaneously at each step of the way two biblical principles. One principle is that of the purity of the visible church. Scripture commands that we must do more than just talk about purity of the visible church. We must actually practice it, even when it's costly. The second principle is that of observable love among all true Christians. To do so, we must look at moment by moment to the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say that to be concerned about purity becomes hard and legalistic, if not tempered with love. And he says to love without purity or holiness becomes wishy-washy and accommodating. And therein, what is Peter calling us to this morning? That we love fervently, that we love one another with a pure heart, with that holiness. Then he goes on and he adds in verse 23. He says, being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of uncorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. He comes back to these comparisons, and I would encourage you to go back and read this whole chapter in in one sitting and see how much he's comparing and contrasting, like I was trying to uh, explain earlier, that it's hard for us to understand the precious blood of Christ because everything around us degrades. But the blood does not lose its value. It is holy, it is precious, it is eternal and it's efficacious that means that it's completely um, powerful in what it is meant to do but he calls us we're born again and it's interesting here i, I you know here i'm pastors away so i'm going to do a few things in the greek this is in the perfect tense and that's why they say being born again because they're trying to relate The perfect tense is something that's happened in the past where the effect is carried on. So when we're saved, we're saved at a point in time, but the effect of it carries on. And that's what Peter says here. When we're born again, and he's comparing again that corruptible and incorruptible. The corruptible seed falls apart. It it, it rots. it, It is of little value. You know, in in that culture too, the agrarian culture of Israel, the seed was so important. The seed represented life. Jesus even used it as a representative of the Christian life of of following him that unless a grain of wheat go into the ground and die, it will not live. And so Peter here is using that example of the seed which brings life, which brings hope, But if it's a corruptible seed, it's worthless. But when it's incorruptible, and he calls it the word of God here, he compares it. He says, we're born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, God's word is never dead. It's never obsolete. 
It's never outdated or of no effect. And it's unchanging, vital, present truth. It doesn't matter if Peter wrote this in 64, 65 AD. It is true today just as it was then. God's word is eternal. Earlier I spoke about experience that uh, we have sometimes in life. We experience everything around us. But experience is faulty. We perceive things, but we can't perceive the eternal. And just as he says that we receive truth, but not by the traditions of our fathers. You know, traditions of philosophy, traditions of, eh, well, if you live a good life, things will be okay. Or traditions, well, I don't believe in a, a loving God would send anyone to hell. They believe in a universalism that if our good outweighs our bad, that we will go to heaven. Traditions, experience can't be trusted. Traditions is faulty. But Peter says the eternal word of God is good. The eternal word of God is perfect. Peter talked about being born again. It's a phrase that Jesus used to talk about new life in him. Are you born again this morning? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your Savior? For somebody who's never done that, maybe you're listening on the live stream or you'll listen this to this later with the podcast or you're sitting here right now. If you've heard some of this stuff, about salvation, what we have in Christ, about that precious blood being shed for us and living for him, that we may live with him in eternity. If you say, I I don't think I've ever done that. This morning's the morning. Take that time. Recognize that we're sinners before God. God is holy, as Peter said earlier in the chapter. God is a holy God and he must, of his own personality, his own character, judge sin. The Bible tells us that every one of us has sinned. Every one of us is guilty before him. But that's why before the foundation of the world, he planned that Jesus would come, live a perfect life, shed his precious blood, that whosoever believeth in him, receives him, acknowledges their sin and says, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. He enters into your life. He changes you. He makes you a new creature, the Bible says. And then we have that hope that we're reviewing earlier that never fades, never goes, and we will live with him when that time comes, whether I die in a car accident, whether the rapture comes, or I die of old age. We will be with him for eternity. Believer, maybe you this morning have listened to this and it's been an imperfect presentation. But maybe you've listened and said, I've been living the way I should. My thoughts aren't always on him. My thoughts are on day-to-day life. And listen, the Bible doesn't tell us that we should just sit down and do nothing because... It's all vanity. 
No, the Bible says we should work, we should marry, we should, you know, have kids, we should whatever, we go on. The Bible talks about that, but in ourself, when we focus on ourself of what we want instead of what he wants, it's empty because it all disappears. It's all about what is done for him. If you're living for him and seeking his glory, you can be the best teacher you can be to his glory. If you're living for him and seeking his will, you can be the best nurse, the best engineer, the best librarian, the best fire chief, the best engineer, I've said that, (laughs) whatever, police officer, to his glory. But as I, I, I did this, uh, I, I'm reflecting back on myself. I, I saw some things in my life. It's like, I'm too caught up in this instead of looking to this, the things of the Lord. Let's close together. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word, your eternal word. We thank you that it, it conveys your truth to us in a world full of lies and deceit and corruption.